Hello and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm today's host, Alok Tai. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Vibe Bio. Vibe partners with patient communities to develop novel therapies. We're really fortunate today to be joined by Dr. Jim Sullivan. He's the CEO and co-founder of Vanqua Bio and a venture partner at Orbimed. We'll be talking today a little bit about Vanqua, its focus on the area of Parkinson's, as well as the platform and lead programs that they're developing. Jim, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Alok, and it's a real pleasure to be here with you on this podcast. Awesome. You know, maybe to kick us off, would love it if you can give us a quick sense of your background and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, happy to do so. In many ways, my career has come full circle. So I started out getting a PhD in biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin and worked on a project tied to Parkinson's disease. And now, as I think back to with my role at Vanquist, that is one area where life has come full circle. Then I came to the States, went to Northwestern to do a postdoc in a neurobiology lab. And then after a few years there, decided to pursue a career in a startup biotech in Baltimore, Maryland, that had been founded by an eminent neuroscientist called Saul Snyder. And in many respects, that was the most important decision I made in my career, because that experience in a small biotech where I got exposed to so much R&D really sparked an interest in the joys and challenges of doing drug discovery and development. After a period there, I got the opportunity to come back to Chicago to work at Abbott Labs in their neuroscience group as a scientist and had a variety of roles there, firstly as a scientist and then moving into more leadership positions. And for a number of years, I led the neuroscience research team at Abbott. And it was during that period, we had great progress in terms of you know, identifying molecules to move into the clinic. But I also came to appreciate the great challenge that exists in neuroscience research and development, given the challenges, the lack of animal models and the lack of in vitro systems, something that's come back to me as we, and I've thought a lot about as we, as we started Vanqua. After a period of time in that role, I got the opportunity to lead all of research at Abbott. And ultimately when AbbVie spun out of Abbott, I continued in that role. And it was a great honor to lead a team of scientists that were able to actually make significant impact in human health. During that period, we were able to advance a number of molecules from the laboratory all the way into development and to the marketplace that have had a big impact. So, for example, a cure for hepatitis C, Mavrid, the first and only BCL2 inhibitor for hematologic cancers, Venetoclax, and more recently, a molecule for autoimmune disease, a Rinvoke, a very selective JAK1 inhibitor. And I look forward to the next couple of years to seeing what else comes out of that pipeline from the research organization. So in 2018, I decided I was ready for a change, a new challenge. And I was introduced to Jonathan Silverstein, who is a managing partner at Orbimed, a global venture capital company and healthcare investment company. And he attracted me to Orbimed as a venture partner with a goal of establishing you know, ultimately taking on an operating role in a, in a company, most likely a neurology-centered company. Amazing. Well, you know, it sounds like there's some interesting origins to Vanqua, and it sounds like your relationship with Jonathan was a part of it. Would love to just hear a little bit about how the company came about and some of the work that Jonathan's doing in this space. Jonathan, I just mentioned, has been a very, very successful investor in small and large biotech companies for multiple decades. 
But several years ago, Jonathan was diagnosed with GBA Parkinson's disease. For those in the audience who aren't familiar with GBA Parkinson's disease, patients with that disease represent about 10% of the total Parkinson's population. So it's about 100,000 patients. You know, unfortunately for those patients, they are diagnosed at a younger age and their symptoms, both motoric and cognition, progress more rapidly. So as you can imagine, it's a very, very difficult diagnosis for the patient and for the family. And so when Jonathan was diagnosed several years ago, rather than sit back, he actually invested in his own money and started a foundation, the Silverstein Foundation for GBA Parkinson's Research, with a view to not necessarily giving out a lot of grants to basic research, but with a view to funding research that could go into companies. And that's in part how FANQA came into being, because one of the groups whose research he funded was my co-founder, Dimitri Kranch, who's the chair of neurology at Northwestern. And neurology, and as I will probably come to in a couple of minutes, Dimitri is one of the world leaders in linking human genetics to the emergence of phenotypes of disease for diseases like Parkinson's disease. At the end of 2019, based on you know, the work that Jonathan's foundation had funded in Dimitri's lab and the progress that had been made. We decided to start a company around that research called Fanqua. Orbimed invested a series A and, you know, we set up Fanqua with a view, you know, attacking and vanquishing diseases like GBA Parkinson's disease, but not just GBA Parkinson's, other diseases like ALS is an area of a lot of interest for us. As we set up the company, you know, we reflected on the challenges that the neuroscience field has had for decades. As I mentioned back in the 90s, you know, we, we struggled with this when I was at Abbott and countless companies have struggled with, you know, finding molecules that not just work in animals, but actually work and have profound effect in patients. And so when we started Vanqua, we embarked upon a three-pronged strategy. One, to harness the power of human genetics to identify those targets that had a genetic association to disease. And if you do that, then you can find patient populations who are more likely to respond to potential therapies directed against that target. The second was the biology platform. And again, this goes back to some of the pioneering work of Dimitri, where rather than using rodent neuronal systems, where you add an exogenous toxin and call that a model of disease, we took an alternate approach, which was to say, let us use patient-derived cells and then create induced pluripotent stem cells, iPSCs, and differentiate them into neuronal cells. And what's really fascinating about that approach is when you put these neurons in a test tube or in a Petri dish for 100 or 150 days, over that period of time, you see the emergence of some of the pathogenic hallmarks of a disease like Parkinson's disease. And so you have a much better model system to one, understand the basic biology of the disease, two, to screen compounds, three, to identify potential biomarkers, all of which are really important in research and development. So with that platform in place, we feel that we're well positioned then to find compelling approaches to attack GBA Parkinson's disease, as well as other neurological diseases that are intense interest to us. You know, I think this idea of sort of correlating one's genome to sort of an ideal therapy is something we've obviously started to invest heavily in in the cancer domain. And so it's really great to see that same analogy, perhaps transition to neurodegenerative diseases as well. 
before we get into sort of more of the depth around sort of Vanqua, one thing I didn't hear you explicitly say is sort of the, the problems that exist around delivery in this field. Curious if you could just maybe comment on the state of the art from a drug delivery standpoint, you know, transitioning beyond the blood-brain barrier, et cetera, and what kind of challenges or risks that poses for development. The challenge of getting an effective therapeutic into the brain, crossing the blood-brain barrier, has been one of the big challenges that companies targeting many neurologic disorders have faced. For GBA Parkinson's disease, and Parkinson's disease more generally, the real problem, the starting problem is there are no effective therapies that slow or stop progression of disease. So that is problem number one. You know, despite the tremendous amount of funding that's gone into Parkinson's disease over the last 30, 40 years, we're still dealing with therapies that provide symptomatic relief, but do not stop or halt progression of disease. And so as we think about, you know, next generation therapies that are using patient-derived stem cells and neuronal cells, some approaches use monoclonal antibodies, which unless you have some way of accelerating and enhancing their delivery into the CNS could be challenging. Our approach is to develop a small molecule, small molecule that will readily penetrate the blood-brain barrier. And we believe that offers convenience advantages compared to an injection or gene therapy that may need to be injected directly into the brain. Yeah, got it. So, you know, with that, would love to maybe learn a little bit more about the platform, especially the work you're doing around IPSCs and a little bit about your lead program as well. Our lead program is focused on identifying a small molecule that will readily get into the brain and will activate an enzyme called glucocerebrosidase. That's a big mouthful. So we abbreviate it as GKs. GKs is an enzyme that plays a very important role in regulating lipids and maintaining the normal function of lysosomes within neurons and other cell types. And as you may know, a lot of people consider lysosomes like one of the garbage disposal systems of the cell. And that becomes important when one thinks about Parkinson's disease. Because one of the hallmarks of Parkinson's disease is you get the accumulation of this pathogenic protein called alpha-synuclein. And why does it accumulate? It's because it's not cleared effectively by the lysosome. And a lot of data now suggests that GKs is one of the critical factors regulating the clearance of alpha-synuclein. So as we think about targeting this enzyme for Parkinson's and GBA, you know, I talked about our platform and the importance of human genetics. We know that mutations in the gene encoding GKs are strongly associated with GBA Parkinson's disease. If you have mutations in those genes, your chances of developing Parkinson's disease go up maybe eight to tenfold. So it's a significant, significant impact. They are also causative for another disease called Gaucher disease. And those mutations, what happens, there's many of them, but they all share the fact that they decrease the activity of this enzyme. That leads to dysregulation of the lipid environment in lysosomes and the accumulation of this pathogenic protein, alpha-synuclein. And that's based on a lot of work from a lot of labs outside of Vanqua. And so what we are striving to do with our approach is to restore the activity of the enzyme in the lysosome, activate the enzyme, turn back on or restore lipid homeostasis 
and in so doing, you know, halt the accumulation of alpha-synuclein. To do that, we had to develop a whole suite of novel reagents and assay systems, and then employ our patient-derived neuronal systems, so cells from patients with GBA Parkinson's disease. We grow those neurons in a dish for 100, 150 days. We're able to show that our molecules are able to halt the accumulation of the pathogenic form of alpha-synuclein. Still in a test tube, but offers a lot of potential as we think about the downstream benefits that this approach could bring to patients. So, you know, one of the things I think is kind of interesting is sort of the genetic aspect. You mentioned sort of one potential root cause for the disease, but these types of diseases tend to be fairly diverse in terms of their origin. And something like Parkinson's, perhaps like cancer, depression as an example, may actually be the outcome of multiple different diseases. How do you think about that genetic variation and the development path, given that it might be a different small molecule for each of those variations, but an arduous clinical development path regardless? It's a great question. There are multiple genetic mutations that have been linked to Parkinson's disease. For example, mutations in an enzyme called LAR2 are associated with the disease. And then there are mutations in genes linked to mitochondrial function. What we believe is attractive about our approach is that we are targeting a mutation in a gene GBA1 that has a strong association and is linked to a subset of the total of Parkinson's disease, GBA Parkinson's disease. So that allows us to identify those patients early in clinical development, in phase one, as you would do in other indications like oncology, identify those patients harboring those mutations. And because we're able to restore the activity of the enzyme in those patients, we believe we have an increased probability of success. So it is, in many respects, a precision medicine approach for that patient population. If we're successful there, then we can consider expanding into more idiopathic Parkinson's disease, where you will have some of the other mutations playing a role, potentially environmental factors. Our initial approach is to target GBA Parkinson's disease within the neurology context, as well as a second indication, Gaucher disease, where the mutations are actually causative for the disease. So awesome. So, you know, as you think about building a biotech in Chicago, obviously coming from AbbVie, bring a lot of experience and perhaps, you know, some select colleagues who can help support the endeavor. But unlike, say, Boston, San Diego, San Francisco, it's not quite as large of a contingent there. We'd love to just hear how you're building out the team and also in this modern world of COVID, you know, the culture of a biotech as well. Really important question. I would say as a CEO, it's one of my biggest responsibilities. Chicago is an emerging biotech center, I would say. Chicago has world-class universities, Northwestern, University of Chicago, to name two. And then within the Midwest, there's many, many other top world-class universities. So the ability to attract top-notch talent from those universities, I think, is, is real, and we've demonstrated it. For example, four of the founding cohort of scientists who joined the group came from Northwestern University. And they brought deep expertise in our areas of interest in our biology platform. But we are living in a world where you know people are learning to work in a hybrid fashion. And our CSO, Kevin Hunt, who has previously led the discovery and into early development of a novel small molecule 
for Besker's muscular dystrophy at Edgewise. He joined a company. We're thrilled to have Kevin as our CSO. He, he splits his time between Chicago and, and Colorado, for example. Other members of the team have joined us from New York and around the country because it really comes down to talent, as I think you well appreciate, your audience well appreciates. Success in, in our endeavor requires having a really talented team and then building the right culture. And that is something, you know, across my career, I've taught and tried to action a culture that maybe has four or five key elements about it. You know, research scientists, when we come to work every day, we need to have a passion around the fact that patients are counting on us. If we put the patient front and center, it can be very inspiring. I talked about Jonathan Silverstein and how you know, he was very instrumental in the formation of Fanqua. He is also inspirational to us. And for him, he's an investor in Fanqua, but he personally is very, very motivated for us to come up with a treatment that will slow or stop progression of his and 100,000 patients' disease. So having a patient focus, I think, is incredibly important as you think about culture. The second thing, and I didn't coin this phrase, but I like to use it, is that you have to have a culture that's about truth-seeking versus progression-seeking. And what I mean by that is that when we come to work, we do experiments that are not about just getting to the next milestone, but rather could further validate or invalidate the approach we're taking. And I think that is really important, be it a small biotech or a large pharma, that teams come to work with that attitude. Because in our world, the truth will come out. It's never great when you do a phase two study, the molecule fails, and you look back and that could have been predicted by some preclinical data. So making sure that you're rigorous and going about truth-seeking, I think is really important. And then there are things that, like creating a rich learning environment. If you're going to hire talented people, they want to grow. I've been very fortunate in my career to have had the opportunity to be in environments where I was ne- never pigeonholed. And you know, the ability to learn about other aspects of research and development is incredibly attractive for a lot of scientists. And so create that opportunity for people, have high expectations, hold people accountable. And then, you know, the last thing I'd say is have a how we can attitude. Many, many programs across our industry are going to fail. What you want is a team of scientists who, if they embrace the fact that patients are at the core of what we do, we're going to hold each other accountable for rigorous experimentation. But at the same time, we believe in what we're doing and we have a can-do attitude, I think you can achieve great things. I'm really pleased with the way the Vanquit team has come together over the last two years and the progress we've made as we now get closer to hopefully having a, a molecule in early clinical development in 2023. Awesome. So you know, one question I have around sort of the team and the culture side is that you've done an amazing job of articulating sort of the key facets of what it's like to work at Vanqua and the types of people you want to bring in. Articulating those items is one half of the problem. The other half of the problem is finding and or ensuring individuals kind of fit that mold, for better or worse. Any pieces of advice you can give folks like myself and others who are trying to build biotechs around the best way to interview, evaluate whether individuals are a good fit, given the competitive nature of the environment and the pace at which you need to move? Yes. And that is always a challenge. A bad hire will cost you more time 
and will hurt your company more than the rush to make a decision, in my opinion. Really important that when you're hiring an individual, that they understand what the role is, particularly if they're coming out of academia, that what we do in biotech is a team sport. And so one of the most important characteristics I look for is an individual who embraces being part of a team, who embraces the fact that they are going to be one important voice in a meeting, but not the only voice, that they want to learn, that they bring deep expertise in an area you want today, but that they're sponged to learn and to learn other aspects of our business. Difficult to find those individuals, but you know it's really important, and from my perspective as I build Frankfurt, that we look for individuals like that and individuals who will bring a skill set does not exist. One of my guiding principles, not all my career, I have to say, but over the last years has been hire someone who is smarter than you and then let them do their job, set guidelines. That is an important facet of this. So in Chicago, you know, we are trying to recruit from around the country as well as from the Midwest. And those facets are particularly important that the ability to work as part of a team, the ability to want to learn. The ability to be willing to deal with hybrid work environments are all things that we look at as we interview candidates. Well, and there's certainly a lot of opportunity, I think, for the broader industry to evolve its mindset to be more like yours and Banqua's in terms of education, training, empowerment, right, of those individuals. So it's great to see you guys leading the charge in terms of these new modes of leadership. With that, Jim, would love to thank you for joining us from the podcast today. Really eager to see hopefully your lead program advance and look to have you and perhaps other members of the team on again soon. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by Malok Tai. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at biotech2050pod. Again, that's biotech2050pod. Until next time.